This is the Sermon Podcast of Lord of Life Lutheran Church in Columbus, Ohio, where we proclaim God's extravagant grace, radical inclusion, and relentless compassion. Join us for worship Sundays at 8 a.m., 9 a.m., or 11.15 a.m. For more information, please visit our website at www.acceptingall.com. Our reading from the life of Jesus is found again in Luke's Gospel, today in the ninth chapter. Now about eight days after these sayings, Jesus took with him Peter and John and James and went up to a mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly they saw two men, Moses and Elijah, talking to him. They appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, which he was to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and his companions were weighed down with sleep, but since they had stayed awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And just as they were leaving him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah, not not knowing what he had said. And while he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were terrified as they entered the cloud. And then from the cloud came a voice that said, This is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent, and in those days told no one of the things that they had seen. On the next day when they had come down from the mountain, a great crowd met him. And just then a man from the crowd shouted, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son. He's my only child. And suddenly a spirit will seize him, and all at once he'll shriek and convulse until he foams at the mouth, and it mauls him and scarcely ever leaves him. I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. Jesus answered, You faithless, perverse generation, how much longer must I be with you and, and bear with you? Bring your son here. And while he was coming, the demon dashed him to the ground in convulsions. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. And all were astounded at the greatness of God. Holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Heard a lot about mountains today. Mountains, mountains, mountains. I... I do want to have this caveat before we go much further. Um, if you want to be close to God, especially if you live in Ohio, it's, it's probably better to take up prayer rather than mountain climbing. Just, just want to say that. They are closely associated, uh, and I understand why. When, when I'm on a mountain, something almost mystical seems to happen. I, I do feel closer to God when you are up on a mountain. The Celtic people uh, called uh, mountains thin places, uh, not because the air was thinner, although it can be, but mostly because the space between you and God was thought to be thinner when you were on a mountain, you were closer to God. And that's kind of how it works. There's something mysterious and spiritual and almost eternal, even in Scripture, about mountains. Um, Moses uh, went on the mountain. Uh, The Ten Commandments, the covenant, were brought down from the moment, mountain. And, And in our reading today... Jesus takes his disciples not down to the river to pray, but he takes them up to the mountain to pray. Here's a little how to read scripture uh, trick. Every time you hear or read in scripture, uh, they went up to the mountain. Uh, Think for a moment of the music in Jaws. Mm -mm. 
Mm-mm. Whenever you hear they went up the mountain, something is going to happen. Something big is, is going to happen. Uh, just before this chapter, Jesus tells his disciples that he is on the way to the cross. Um, and they do not know exactly what to do with that. Uh, he tells them, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, I'm going to die on a cross. And they were very familiar with what that was. Um, they had been worried about it for some time. The empire crucified thousands and thousands of people as a display of power and example. That's what empires do. And the Roman Empire was particularly efficient at crucifixion. And so right before this reading, Jesus tells his disciples that I am going to go to Jerusalem and I am going to be crucified on a cross and I'm going to die. And then he says, and anyone who will follow me must also take up their cross. Now, even after 2,000 years of watering it down, that is a little hard to hear. For someone to look you right in the eye and say, it's going to get ugly, it's going to hurt, it's going to be hard, you're going to die. Jesus takes up his cross and he tells them that they're going to have to take up theirs too. So you get the idea in this reading that this invitation to go up on the mountain is just that. It's, it's an invitation. Before we go to Jerusalem to take up the cross, let's go up to the mountain. Let's spend a little time apart. Let's spend a little bit of time away and connect with each other and with God. And so Jesus takes them up to the mountain to pray. While they're up there, uh, Jesus is praying, but they, uh, they are trying hard not to fall asleep. And, and while he is praying and they are on the edge of sleeping, he suddenly changes in appearance. He begins to glow. He, he dazzles. Uh, the word that is used is transfigured. That's where the day comes from, the day of transfiguration. And the disciples, because they're, they're not praying but they're sleeping, they almost miss out on seeing all the glory of God. But they manage to catch this glimpse. They catch a glimpse of Jesus like no one had ever seen him before. And there's a little bit more than that. Um, at least baseball fans will remember the, the film Field of Dreams. You, you build this stadium, you get all the corn, and when they finally get out in the stadium, all these great baseball players from the past just come walking out of the corn. And they have this conversation about the game of, of baseball and how important it is. Up on the Mount of Transfiguration, that's, that's what suddenly they're looking at, something like that, that out of the past comes Moses. He's been dead for 450 years. And Elijah, who's been dead for 150 years. And Jesus and Moses and Elisha are just standing there on the mountain having a, a conversation as if they are good friends about this thing that is really life, life in, in Christ. And then something even more unusual happens, and yet it's probably the easiest thing to miss amidst all the metaphysical things. Elsewhere in Scripture, as in our first lesson, whenever, whenever God is revealed in glory, um, the faithful typically fall down in fear. From the shepherds out in the fields watching their flocks at night who are frightened by the angels, it's kind of like a Wizard of Oz effect. <clears throat> you have this kind of a glow, the glory of the Lord, the doxa, and everybody says, oh, oh, it's too, it's too much. But in this lesson today, that's not what happens. In this lesson, Peter and James and John just take it all in, which is really powerful. In fact, Peter says something pretty unusual. He said, hey, this is, this is really awesome. 
Let's just stay here for a while. Let's build a couple of shrines. Let's like remember this moment forever. Let's just stay up here on this mountain. Let's stay here. Let's avoid all those people who are trying to hurt us and trick us. Let's stay here away from all the controversy that seems to follow you, Jesus, whenever you just keep welcoming people and loving people. Let's stay here. I'm just tired of explaining why all means all and why less is more and why life with you is really life and why a grain of wheat has to fall into the ground and die if it's going to live forever. Let's just stay here on the mountain. And, and i got to be really honest with you, I totally get that. If, if the cross is down there and the glory of Jesus is up here, I, I'm fine staying up here. I, I, I really am. Yeah, I, I picture James, my namesake, and John saying to Peter, yeah, yeah, that sounds like a pretty good idea. Let's, let's do that. Up here, it's easy, Lord, here. Up here, it's obvious. You are who you say you are. Your face shines. Your clothes glow. It all feels so right. It's so perfect up here. Wouldn't it be great if we just stayed up here? In fact, our little spiritual joy bubble, let's just invite everybody else to come up where we are. And then, suddenly a dark cloud rolls in. And some of you know that experience. Some of you may even be in it right now. And you're having these great moments in life and things are rolling around and then like a dark cloud really comes in. Um, when I ask people who have been to Israel and Palestine, so where, where did you feel closest to God? Almost universally you get the same answer. Um, it's not Jerusalem, it's not the Holy Sepulchre, it's, it's the Sea of Galilee. And when you ask more about that, it's because, well, the Sea of Galilee, in your mind, looks the way the Sea of Galilee looked when Jesus was on the Sea of Galilee. The sea is a sea is a sea, and we're sitting at the Sea of Galilee. You feel like you're there with Jesus. So I get it. But I also think it's because very few people drive up Mount Tabor or the Mountain of Transfiguration. I've been there. It is a series of 28 harrowing switchback turns up the size of a cliff with a driver who doesn't speak English in a car that couldn't pass the Ohio inspection. And on your way up, you can look straight down and every curve is right on the edge. And on the way up, I, I'm not exaggerating I am gripping the handle. I'm not sure I really want to be at Mount Tabor anymore. And about halfway up, you realize you can see for miles and miles and miles. But I'm frankly just focused on the dashboard until you get a little higher and it starts to get cool. And then you are in the middle of the cloud. It's like when you're on an airplane and you go through a cloud and you go above it. Except when you're in, in a car, you can feel that. And it's dense and cool and, and very, very close. <clears throat> and there they are in the close darkness of a cloud and a voice speaks to them and the voice says the very same thing that they heard at Jesus baptism it's the same voice that they heard when they went up to the mountain as they went down to the river and the voice says this is my beloved son my chosen listen to him now if they put me in charge of making this movie I'd do it just a little bit different um at that point, listen to him, it would sound more like, listen to him. And then he, poof, the glory's gone, the cloud's gone, Moses and Elijah are gone. Now, if you were sitting there at that moment, would you ever imagine you'd be more tuned to the next word out of Jesus' mouth? 
And Jesus takes that moment to preach a wordless sermon. St. Francis once said that we should preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, we should use words. Jesus leaves the mountain, goes to the cross. He's not going to be whisked away to heaven like Elijah was. He's not going to escape death. He's going to embrace it, and eventually he is going to even swallow it up. He's going to be nailed to a cross for something that he did not do, but as a final scapegoat for everyone else. And he's not going to stand above everyone else on some high mountain, and he's not going to lord it over everyone, and he's not going to exalt in righteousness and glory while everybody else is down in pain and suffering. The same Jesus, and it's always so cute when we hear it at Christmas, the same Jesus who left heaven to be born as a little baby in a barn, that same Jesus leaves the Mount of Transfiguration to go down to Jerusalem to the cross. And Luke tells that story in such a way that there is absolutely no chance, if you read the story like a novel, that there's no chance that you can miss that part of the story. In Jesus Christ, says Luke, the mountain, the heavens, the highest pinnacle of God and the misery of the world are brought together. It's amazing. Jesus does not come down from that mountain with the law, with the Ten Commandments in his hands. He comes down with absolutely nothing in his hands. Just to embrace a hurting and suffering and nasty and angry world, he comes down extravagant and radical and relentless, full of love and full of mercy for others. As I thought about this sermon today and knowing that we have people here to celebrate baptism with us today, I I wanted to make sure that I said, I, I hope that every one of us has had some mountaintop experiences. I just hope we have. Um, moments when you just felt like you were close to God, that you were loved by God, that nothing could separate you from God, that God was good. And, and that's so different for each one of us. And we should spend time talking about those moments when we were on a mountain and we, we felt the experience and the presence of God. And if, and if, and if you can think about those moments, and you should, uh, I hope you will savor them the way you like savor dark chocolate uh, or the, the way you relish the smell of rain and you can remember what it smelled like. Or um, as Mary did, you treasure it in your hearts, the, the scent of a little tiny baby. If you've had those kind of experiences, and they're not every day. If you've had those kind of experiences, you, you want to savor them and give thanks to God for them. But they are not the Holy Grail. The idea is not that we live in constant nirvana with those kinds of experiences. That's not it. This Wednesday night, Lent begins when we leave this mountain here today, we will be on our way with Jesus down into the valley, down to Jerusalem, to the shadows of death. Um, we begin the season of Lent by saying, well, from dust we came, so I guess we're going back to dust. When you leave here, you're going to go back into a world today that will be not one bit different than when you got in the car to come here this morning. Um, you may be different. I hope and pray that you are. You may be. You may have a sense that you have been forgiven and fed, baptized, loved. But when you leave here, it will still be a world of suffering. Um, children will still be dying. Racism will still be real. 
hungry people, cold people, angry people, relationships will be failing, friends will be betraying friends, bodies will be deteriorating, nations will be fighting against nation. Nothing, nothing's going to change down there in the valley. But you will be different down in the valley. You will have seen Jesus. You have been transfigured. You've seen this great song in a few moments. Shine on me. Yeah. Make my face shine. Your face will be shining because you're, you've had an experience of the goodness of God. Not because you're carrying the law. Not, not because you're ready to lord it over others so that you can protect your little mountaintop in the world. But because you've been in the presence of God, among God's people, among the word, among the sacrament. And, and I can say it very directly. You will have heard the voice of God, the word. You will have been fed by God at the table. You will have been washed and waded in the water. You'll have tasted grace. And you'll know, you will know, know that God is with you. It's a big deal for a lot of people in our parish right now. A lot of people are going through some big things in life. Um, Jesus walks down the mountain with you. He walks through the valley with you. Even through the shadow of death, he walks with you. That in the church language is what we call the gospel truth. This is how I learned it with a little twist. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art not up on some mountain somewhere, but thou art with me. Thou preparest a table before me, even in the presence of my enemies. And thou anointest my head with oil, and my cup runneth over. There's one good thought for the day. Jesus could have stayed up on the mountain forever. Hey, it's his mountain. <laughs> He's God. But he chose to walk down the mountain with us and for us. And that is gospel truth, good news. Amen.